0: eight eight chris the topic we will be discussing today is do you require your players to read the rules mm.
1: hello and welcome to roll for topic a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games i'm chris salzman
0: and i'm andy rowe
1: um andy uh it has been a little bit since we've talked we had the the con sort of in between we recorded an episode like just before the con as well so i mean i think it's been like a month since we've we've we actually sat down to record a new episode of Roll for topic
0: it has indeed but it's like you know getting back on a bike or putting on a well fitted glove or something you know <laughs> just uh yeah it feels it feels right
1: yes it definitely feels right um yeah so uh i'm i'm glad that we're talking again um so it's been a little bit so i wanted to check in on like sort of our our media consumption i guess we should probably have like a a cooler name for this segment but (laughs) if you were
0: cool we would have like a music sting i know yeah uh, yeah yeah
1: Yeah, so uh, i'm wondering like yeah what have you been reading and watching lately that's got your gm brain going
0: yeah oh, great question. I've been reading quite a lot of stuff, not watching very much mm-hmm. stuff. um maybe the most game adjacent thing I've been reading is I've been rereading from the beginning the Black Company series. yeah, okay. I've read this a couple of times at like different points in my life. like it's funny to reread something and just be in a really different place, yes like personally when you read it so i yeah. I first read the Black Company novels maybe 10, between 10 and 15 years ago, loved them. And I reread the first one a couple years ago and had trouble with it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was a book I unabashedly loved on my first read-through. I didn't enjoy it as much on my second. And then- I like medium. Mostly liked it on my third read. So I don't know. It's just okay. been kind of interesting. Yeah, um, I think. And we
1: we had talked. Um, I I tried to read that first one and bounced off of it almost immediately. And I know it's a really well-regarded series. People people seem to seem to love it too. But uh, we've since had a discussion on the Discord. It sounds like I was not the only one to sort of have that that vibe from the yeah. first book. Um, so you would recommend? It sounds like you'd recommend pushing through, and. Yeah, yeah you well, do this, at least the second one.
0: I mean, overall, I, I have to say, I, I really love the series as a whole. I would mm-hmm. point to it as one of my favorite fantasy series. I would not be surprised if a lot of people bounce off the first one. And I would also not be surprised if a lot of people bail a little ways into the series just as it goes on, because out of necessity, it really evolves away from the kind of the premise of the first book. Hmm, um, okay. I, there's a lot about it I like, and we don't need to spend we don't need to spend the whole time here talking just about the black company. But a lot of the things I like about it are the things that feel pretty game adjacent. Like I felt when I first read this, it really made sense to me that that this appeared on it appears in Guygax's appendix N as one say, of the books yeah, that influenced D and D. Initially, that's a funny thing to say because the main characters are not like quote adv- adventurers in like the Tolkien sense where they're on a quest doing something, they're they're much more soldiers with a job. To me, the part of it that feels most gamey is just the incredible, very practical-minded, non-mystical approach that these people take to the kind of magical fantasy kingdom in which they live. Mm -hmm. Like, they have grown up with this stuff, and so it's not magical and special to them in a way. Yeah. And the really amazing breathtaking magic is so far removed from their everyday experience that it, it, it kind of convincing, it feels to me like, you know, reading about some project that Jeff Bezos is doing, right? (laughs) Or he's, or Elon Musk, you know, or building a rocket or doing some crazy thing. Is it, you know, might it be an amazing product? It might, Mm -hmm. might it have, eventually affect us in some way down the road it might but as far as like you getting through your day yeah it doesn't, doesn't matter. it doesn't really mean much and it doesn't really touch on you um mm-hmm. and there's i don't know i find there's um that dovetails well with the kind of practical attitude players come around to in d because eventually the mystique of you know a new magic item wears off and it just for all intents and purposes, it's just a plus two bonus to your attack roll, right? Yeah. Yep. And you can't maintain that, that uh, wonderful aura for very long in a game setting. And it, it becomes like a, just a tool in your arsenal or you start going, which spell is the right key to unlock this problem? Not, oh, wizard, what mystical lore yeah. can you draw on to eliminate <laughs> this problem? Yes, uh, yeah. And it's more things like, oh, wait, if you use, uh, resist magic here you'll get a plus two bonus and mm-hmm. sometimes that kind of metagamey talk is distracting and we've talked about that in the show in different ways but it is a very human thing to do i think i think oh, to demystify totally. something and look for the ways that it's useful to you and that's kind of Im- it describes how the characters in the black company novels approach all of this fantasy garbage as they encounter it. So yes. I've just been talking for a long while. Yeah. Like, any thoughts on that?
1: No, I mean that sounds really good. I mean, I think that is the when I the thing that attracted me even try the black company was that sort of like groundedness. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you had mentioned it you know, way back when when I first tried it. So yeah, I should give that another shot. Especially like, yeah, like you mentioned, it's on in, in the appendix, and you know, lots of people that I, I know and respect really like those books too. So, I mean, yeah, it, yeah it might be I fun have to a hard try. time
0: seeing you really enjoying the whole series, but mm-hmm. I will say this if you're gonna try it again, maybe skip the first one and mm-hmm. read the second one. Okay, it's uh, I, I had not been exposed to you know, Blades in the Dark when I first read it, but you know, reading it now, it's giving off huge criminal scoundrel heist mm-hmm. vibes. Yeah, um. And I think you might enjoy it in that, in that sense, specifically oh, well. the second book. So, okay.
1: I mean, well, you know, the exact words to get me to, to pick something <laughs> yeah. up right there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, uh, how about you? What have you been reading, watching, et cetera?
1: Uh, so I have started up another read through of Lord of the Rings. Oh
0: um, yeah. Hey, fantastic. Yeah. So
1: this sort of like caught me by surprise. I, I just finished up um, the last book in the dungeon crawler Carl series that, that, you know, was published recently. Right. So I'm sort of waiting on the next one to drop. Um, Yeah. So I really enjoyed that series. It's lots of fun. You know, I'll keep reading them as long as he keeps writing them. Um, But yeah, so I finished, I was like kind of looking for the next book to read. And then I was just like, Oh, I mean, it kind of feels like it's time to reread Lord of the Rings. So I I downloaded it on my e-reader. And just, yeah, I started reading it. I read with my daughter every night just before she goes to sleep um, for a little bit. So I've just been like, yeah, you know, 15, 20 minutes here, there. i going to make my way through it. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's just a marvelous, marvelous book. I think yeah. the thing that's striking me this time going through it is, um, and you know, talking about like how books hit you sort of differently, <laughs> differently in different, yeah. uh, different fine periods of your life. Like it feels like there, um, there isn't as much detail as I remember Like, you know, like thinking back on it, I just I just remember reading the book being this like very laborious, like detailed explanation of everything that's happening, happening to them and the journey that they're taking. Um, And this time around, I'm just like, oh, I actually want more, right? Like I want more description of what's happening. Like, yeah, it feels like it's Gandalf in the Shire, right? Like, that's just a few, it almost feels like it's just a few pages, Whereas, you know, you know, previously, the you know, first time I read it, I was like, oh my goodness, like, when are they going to get out of the Shire, right? It's like, yeah, but <laughs> now I just, yeah, I want them to, to spend a little bit more time. Um, yeah, so I just got through, they just made it to Bree, Um, And, you know, like right before that section is the section that's, you know, cut out of the movies. If you've never read the book, there's this character, Tom Bombadil, in the books, who's just like, just a wonderful, magical being. And like everything about that section, like, I understand why it's not in the movies. Uh, but, like, you know, thinking about it from in a gaming perspective, like, the Hobbits just sort of bumble from, like, one problem to the next, and they keep on getting bailed out by other by other people. Like, Tom Bombadil bails them out, like, a couple of times. Um, And it's, like, you know, thinking about, like, how you do it at the game table, right? Like, I mean, I think at the if the gaming table, the Hobbits would have been in, you know, a couple of fights. You'd maybe get to call on Tom, Tom Bombadil once, right? You know, there's, like, all mm. these mechanics stuff that like just don't map well um to the story despite it being held up as sort of like this this pinnacle of like this is how you tell an adventure you yeah. know how adventure and it's really i think influenced a lot of people's campaigns and stuff like that but on the surface of it at least the first part of fellowship is not a very gameable sort of <laughs> sort of story
0: <laughs> yeah interesting in a way
1: um yeah uh i mean like not to say that there aren't lovely you know, parts about it. Right. Like, but I just, I find myself reading at this time just with like a very different mentality of like, like, I don't think I'd want to turn this into a game. Right. Whereas if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have been like, yes, like that's, that would be the ultimate mm. is to tell Lord of the Rings at the table in some way. Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's what I'm doing.
0: And I will, I'll probably check back in here or there um, on the the podcast about yeah, my progress. Please but, do. Yeah. yeah. I've, I have been feeling that little uh mental, tug that yeah it's probably about time to reread the lord of the rings i don't Mm -hmm. think i'm quite there yet but sometime soon so i want to hear how you're doing i was going to say you know i i feel from just anecdotally talking to people maybe one of the first big shifts a typical person takes towards the lord of the rings is when you make it over that hump of like the hobbit stuff is boring and i can't wait to get out of it to the Uh like (laughs) exciting balrog fights and stuff yeah and then at some point though you do shift and you're like man it's it's a bummer we're leaving the shire because this is so delightful and and, yeah yeah
1: Yeah. i mean and just finding
0: myself like
1: um reading and rereading the songs right and oh interesting yeah okay yeah because i mean again like you know the first time i tried reading it like way back when um we might have even talked about this in the podcast you know a long time ago but the first time i read it you know it's just like you're just like skipping them left and right you're like this is this is boring why would you care and it's like now to me it's like those are the the moments in the story where it's like this is this is sort of the reality that the characters want to inhabit like this is what this is what they want to get back to mm. right is this like sitting around eating telling stories singing songs right like that's that's the life that they're fighting for again um right and so it's just like yeah i'm really taking a lot of joy joy in those moments um yeah so well wow, that's awesome yeah But yeah, so that, I think that kind of does it for, for what I'm reading. Um, But yeah, I wanted to, before we jump into our topic, just sort of mention offhand that uh, Halloween is fast approaching. Um, I don't know. I think, I don't know if your kids are, have aged out of Halloween or not, but mine are just
0: like mm, talking about it all the time. (laughs) It's fantastic. Yeah. 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 Mine, uh, my oldest is a, you know, older teenager. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll find out if Halloween is still cool or not, yeah, in about a month, I bet it still is, so I think so, yeah, dressing up is always gonna be fun, <laughs> yeah, dressing yeah. up free candy,
1: yeah, yeah, um, but are you planning on doing anything special for Halloween
0: gaming uh, so yeah, interesting, you should ask, so I was I was, and I may, but I have already changed my plans once, so oh, okay, I pitched curse of Strahd to. my my game main kind of main gaming group Mm -hmm. and then I canceled it Um, oh so what happened is uh this is something I would like to unpack on the show although maybe not unpack all of it right now but I would like to run you know something like Curse of Strahd but I don't think that I can really do that well At a pace of about once a month, which is as frequent as this particular group can do. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know what, let's, let's table that then we'll like, I need to think about this. And in the meantime, we're going to play some Star Trek, which I can do Mm -hmm. on a once uh, we're going to do a short Star Trek thing. I might try to do a little, I mean, Star Trek's not really all that Halloween ish, but I might Mm -hmm. try to throw in something that's a little spooky. We'll see. But um (laughs) But yeah, so actually my longer term question this fall is can you do like a regular D&D campaign once a month and have it be an experience that's really getting the most out of D&D? Or is that just not something, is my time better spent finding a different game that works better at that pace? Mm. So I don't do yeah. you have any instinctive reactions to that?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's going to dovetail into our topic pretty well. But I've got one thing to say, and then maybe we can we can dive into that and talk about rules and stuff. Um, it is, it's surprising to me, like you mentioned Star Trek and Halloween, and like, are there any Star Trek Halloween episodes?
0: There are numerous episodes, you know, that are a little spooky Mm -hmm. and the occasional episode that was clearly trying to riff a little bit off of aliens or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, it's a profoundly PG show at heart, uh, despite the occasional diversions into Mm -hmm. um, more stronger stuff. and. You know, there certainly has never been, you know, a Star Trek Halloween special type of episode, I guess. Yeah. Seems like a shame. Seems like a a missed opportunity.
1: Although I think like all the directions I'm thinking right now would be pretty too jokey for for Star Trek. Like, yeah, like if they, yeah. Somehow we're taking the Enterprise around, like trick-or-treating to different planets quickly, like, you know, over the course of one night. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you know, the most, you, you know, you can do some... You can do suspense really well in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so the most horror y episodes are the ones that kind of, you know, Star Trek's ultimately not really about killing and defeating the monsters, right? It's, yeah. Star Trek is at its best when it's about encountering something that's alien and strange, but then, you know, overcoming the hurdle that it presents in. You know, preferably non-violently. Although, you know, to be sure, there's plenty of phasers and stuff in Star Trek, yeah. and you can get some good suspense out of you know, like just hiding what's really going on and letting, you know, letting the protagonist's imagination make something scary out of the uncertainty. I suppose. Mm-hmm. But you know, the ultimate, the to for it to feel really Star Trekky, the culmination of that probably shouldn't be in the monster jumps out for like a final showdown. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it also, like, that structure sort of lends itself well. Like, thinking about the, like, once-a-month gaming, I I think that structure lends itself well to almost, like, one-shot mentality, right? Like, you can kind of, like, do a whole thing in a night pretty easily. Yeah. Whereas I think D&D, like, or, yeah, Pathfinder, like, they're always going to push you towards, like, longer, longer campaigns. Yeah. I mean, like, how many of us have run a one-shot that ends up being like three or four sessions long right it's like yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just that's just sort of the nature nature of it and i think like yeah so to kind of go into our question about like do you require your players to read the rules i think the question of you know can i do a D game once a month like really sort of relates back to the rules more than anything in, in my yeah. mind of like if you have such mechanical complexity having a month between games allows people to sort of forget how to play yes. the game a bit. Yep. Like, I think that's, that's going to be your, that's your biggest barrier. Yeah.
0: Right. There. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, one big barrier is just that D and D has a, a bad time to plot advancement ratio, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, D D famously, if you're playing D D once a month, you know, it is trivially easy to imagine blowing an entire your one month gaming time allotment on one fight that's not even that important right yeah and that's part of the charm of d and d it's part of the frustration of d and d it's just something you accept as part of d and d right mm-hmm. um but yes the other thing is you know you know d and d is is pretty complex but the it really is most rewarding when you Understand the mechanical pieces and you're using mm-hmm. you're directing them towards the goals that you as a player want to pursue and Yeah, uh, four weeks is just an awfully long time to go and You know, I certainly will lose my Grasp on the details in four weeks and so mm-hmm. And I have, a, you know, generally a higher Investment in this than the players do so it seems kind of silly to expect that players would not have that same problem i guess
1: yeah yeah i think it's true the the gaming group that i'm a part of right now just because primarily my schedule is terrible (laughs) we we only meet about once a month um and i do find it hard even as someone who has sort of like a a a rules brain right like i think a lot of us gms have have this where it's like oh we we really like learning rule sets uh maybe accepting john Corey, but uh like so you know like knowing that i have that and still like coming to the table and be like all right i gotta like kind of reacquaint myself with what is this character sheet like what's what's going on with this rule system like that's one thing and the the system that we're playing is not like super complex although there is some mechanical complexity there but like with D, where you end up having to cross-reference i think so much other material unless you just have it memorized down cold like that that can be a big a big barrier towards just getting going right it's like yeah like if you're getting into a combat situation and everybody's got to kind of remember how their spells work and like you know what which dice to roll and like all those little things it can just chew up time right and like if you're not yeah and if you're not really like okay well it's important that we're playing this game in particular like this 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 game it's like yeah maybe find just find a different game that's a little bit easier yeah easier to play
0: yeah well you know the role playing hobby is a funny one you know for something that Kind of traditionally has been based around such a mechanically complex system of rules and that sort of thing. It is possible to play for a long time and never to be asked to really quote learn the rules. Mm-hmm. Just the other day, I overheard uh, my teenager was doing a D and D game session, and I overheard one of the players sharing, "Yeah, I've been I've played in like four different D and D campaigns, and I still don't have any idea what the rule what the rules are basically." Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really common and there's some good reasons for that. Uh, It would be unreasonable to ask for the investment of learning the rules before you started playing Mm -hmm. D&D. If you're a player, I think you have good reason to be skeptical about the time investment of that until you know for sure that a game is going to last, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the famous problem we all face of being, being flaky sometimes and... Um, having busy schedules and the uncertainty of whether the game is going to peter out in three weeks or not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, almost everyone I know, you know, I started this hobby by reading the rules pretty much and then playing it. But almost everybody else I've ever encountered came into the into it by being invited to be in a game. And then mm-hmm. it caught their imagination. And then they some of them went out. Not all of them. Some of them then went out and bought a player's handbook. And it's yeah. hard to even know. You know, I don't think the hobby really has a very clear trajectory in mind of how you go from not knowing the rules to getting the most out of the rules. So mm-hmm. it feels a little bit like such a a you every GM has a problem this problem, but it's uniquely tailored to the personalities. In situation at their table, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Because there, like, there's certain players that I played with that if I ask them to re- read the rules, they just be like, "Well, I'm just not going to play," right? <laughs> like, you know, and yeah. other other players who's like reading the rules is a core part of what the game is, right? Like it's that that play away from the table, um, to borrow from the Splat Book, right? Like that is a huge part of the play away, you know, play away from the table for them is to get the player's handbook and read it cover to cover and like memorize as much of it as possible um and all that and like i i don't even like as a gm or like as a dm right like running 5e like i think like you know i've i've never read the dungeon master's guide right from cover to cover and like i've yeah. talked about like talked about that in the past it's uh you know somewhat of a rare feat for someone to make it all the way through um but similarly like i don't know if i've read the player's handbook all the way through like I, i'm i know i think i have like i think i have read like you know read through it yeah enough to know like what to reference when i need it but, I mean, I think there's always this element of, and I know we've talked about this. I think you even mentioned this on the most recent Splatbook, which, spoiler, Andy was on the most recent episode of Splatbook. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> Did you go listen to? But, like, this thought of, like, there, there's this, like, one true way to run a DD and d game that everybody sort of wants to do, which is interacting with every single rule that is available to you and, like, just really going crunchy with it and stuff. And I think that's, that's sort of, the, like, the thing behind this question of, like, Like, oh, like, what if you had a table where everybody had read, read the rules and really like, you know, like gotten to know them and stuff like what would that change about your game? Right. So like it's, you know, one thing to be like, you know, please make sure that you have a player's handbook. But if you you sort of required everybody to have read it, read it as well and like really understood it, like how would that change how you'd run run your monthly DD game. If you just sort yeah. of knew that every time we picked up, like everybody knew what their spells were, you didn't have to explain spell slots ever again. <laughs> you know, like all those yeah. all those things.
0: Well, so you mentioned my appearance on the splat book. And so I was on there talking about the game Baldur's Gate 3. Mm-hmm. And there are times when it is frustrating when the players don't know the rules. And again, everything I, I wanna I wanna put like the blanket caveat here that I I I don't blame players, especially like especially when you're playing with like adults who mm-hmm. have lives and pro and real problems and stuff like that. I I am mm-hmm. always I always try to be very very careful about what I ask of people who are already. Oh, it is a big ask for some people to show up once a month. Yes, um, yeah, right? absolutely. So yeah. I want that's my blanket caveat here. So if you hear me sneering at dumb lazy players, please <laughs> please don't. Yeah, that way but yeah, yeah. so in Baldur's Gate 3 is a, a video game based on more or less on the 5e rule set and uh there is a lot of joy in that game in discovering how useful all of the kind of mechanical options you have really are so in Bible in Baldur's Gate 3 yeah uh, <laughs> they're, they're the same right <laughs> yeah yeah in in bg3 you know learning learning what the jump like so the jump button will like is a very important button to learn how to use in Baldur's Gate 3 (laughs) and when you realize what that does mechanically it's an important new tool in your toolkit that you will bring into every fight uh there is a a shove command in Baldur's Gate 3 that I would never like you in this game, I mean, you will never you would never inherently use your action to shove something right. Mm-hmm. And then early on in the game, you'll be in a fight, a promise and something will shove you off a cliff and you'll be like, aha, that <laughs> is like, that's a tool. So in when you when you read, like, for instance, the combat chapter of fifth edition or Pathfinder or whatever, you know, there's a challenge in these games that, you know, they often will feel like, oh, it's my turn. I guess I'll, you know, I'll swing my sword. Mm hmm. I'll just swing my sword again i guess and that's fine we've all been in those games and we've all experienced that but there is more to the combat system than swinging your sword there's you know maybe there's jumping or shoving or flanking or disarming Mm -hmm. or tackling or you know and i'm just naming some you know combat moves yeah and i do think one cure for that i can't really think of anything cool to do i'll just swing my sword is knowing that there are like 12 predefined other actions you could be taking you know on the one hand you might think to yourself well if the player wants to to shove the monster they'll they can just tell me that and i will handle the mechanics of it but they're not likely maybe to to realize that they can shove the monster unless they've read that combat chapter and and seen it you know Mm -hmm. so i don't know if i'm making sense here but you know, One of the value of reading even kind of tedious parts of the rules, like what are the things I'm allowed to do in a fight, are that they do kind of remind you, hey, man, there's more here to do than swinging your sword. Here's like a dozen other things you can do instead of swinging your sword. And hey, maybe this will inspire you to think of even more stuff you can do instead of swinging your sword,
1: right? Mm-hmm that's yeah it's a really a really good point yeah because i think every time you know i have taken a trip to (laughs) into the player's handbook to read read a little bit about some of those things It's like oh like that's how that works like that's you know that's how you can you know attack a second time if you have you know a second dagger like all those yeah sorts of things where it's like uh definitely the first handful of times if not even now if i ran a game right right the second like i'd probably get wrong (laughs) you know get wrong but i mean like whenever you're playing a game right you have you have sort of like the The written rules you have the rules that you're you as the game master have sort of glommed onto or like how you're going to interpret them and then how the players are going to interpret stuff too. You're sort of like meeting in the middle of all those things. So like yeah. I think you know playing something like Baldur's Gate three, it's like the computer is not going to fudge its rules. Uh, maybe it will. Like I don't I don't know if there's like a fudge yeah. mechanic in there, but like it's not going to fudge and it knows it knows all of those possibilities. Um, whereas when you like take a step back to your game at the table where it like, you know, everything is just sort of like you're referencing stuff. Um, I think like, that's where, that's where it's hard unless you're, you've been presented, presented with the list in some way, or remember that list to like, to remember all those things. Um, maybe that's a problem with like how the, the game is presented itself. Like, I mean, I'm just thinking about like, you know, like how different would d d be if there was a single page sort of like quick reference guide. That everybody had in front of them like here are yeah. all the actions i could take right like um you know i mean and then that slowly kind of <laughs> that spins out of control now you have like a deck of cards and you're trying to like play stuff yes. so, you know, it becomes a very different game um but you know i think there there's that element of it and i i think like another thing that sort of reminds me of is like when you play with people that have never played dnd before who are just excited about the idea of it um what i have found is you often are doing a lot of like boundary readjustment with them because they might say stuff like oh i want to do this thing and you're like well mechanically you can't do that so like let's try to figure out Mm -hmm. figure out what that is um and that can be a little bit demoralizing because you're like oh like they have a vision of this game that is more exciting than what it might actually be yes (laughs) and like you're sort of slow you you it's not like you're crushing it necessarily but like you're trying to redirect that energy into like the the mechanics that you know sort of fit and work together because if you're gonna play this game over the course of many months, right, like you sort of need to agree on those things. Otherwise, like how what do you reference back, right? Like it can't just be like, oh, I do this thing. It's like, well, if you did that thing, you know, like you would be able to kill anybody in the game. <laughs> like I yeah. don't
0: like, yeah. <laughs> I will but, never forget an yeah. a, an exchange I had probably twenty plus years ago. I was playing with a group of a pretty new group of people, most most of them were not gamers, and and I had specifically said, "Don't worry, you don't need to know the rules. you know, I'll mm-hmm. take care of it. just tell me what you wanna do." So one of the first things that one of the players said was, "I'm a wizard, uh yeah, i'm gonna I'm gonna turn invisible, I'm gonna turn myself invisible and then I'm gonna fly over there and I had and I saw the light dying in her <laughs> eyes as I was like, "Well, you your first level, you can't do any of that uh, yeah. right like you can mm-hmm. here's a few much weaker things you can do much less wondrous um you know you could give yourself a plus one bonus to your saving throws uh but you know maybe in a year of playing you'll be fourth level and you can do some of what you just described to me right yeah um well yeah it's it seems you know if the players have not read the rules so then part of your job as a gm is to teach the rules Mm -hmm. and I I think that that is requires more intentionality than at least I tend to think, and it's yeah. more than just simply tell me what you want to do and I'll make the rule translation in my head and then mm-hmm. we'll carry it out. I think it means making sure you are using the rules, you know, in the way you challenge the players, you know. So if your goblins are always just swinging their swords every turn too. And you and they're never using that disarm maneuver Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, you know, whatever your game system has. They're never if you are not um, directing mechanics against the players to demonstrate how they work and incentivize them to learn those systems, Mm -hmm. then you know they're never really going to progress beyond that. I guess I'll swing my sword again, or just that they'll never stop, like leaving it to you to do the job of like translating what they want to do into some like mechanics
1: yeah yeah i think the the translation there too they're relying on you to translate it perfectly every time yeah right and then like too if they're just sort of taking a stab in the dark of like i don't know like can i can i do this thing like and you never translate it to like oh like so you just shove them off the edge of that cliff right like that's never presented to them as an option in the translation it's like well yeah like what what is lost from your game your game there i mean like does uh, it like i've never used that <laughs> in a 5e game yeah well i yeah, think yeah.
0: baldur's gate 3 i don't think that you know jump and shove are are the powerful tools in like tabletop fighting no. that they are and be violent yeah, yeah. Baldur's gate 3. i'm yeah. sorry you and i listeners won't get this but you and i worked uh, spent much of our careers yeah. working for something that has the initial yes 3 yeah. and so i keep uh, defaulting uh, uh, yes yeah defaulting to that when talking about Baldur's Gate yeah um, no, um, i'm sorry where were we yes
1: yeah so okay like i think like so g- getting back to some r- rules stuff um i guess yeah so it sounds like you don't yeah. require players to read the rules I- i've definitely never done that done that either would you ever require players to read the rules? Is there any sort of game that you'd run where you would say like it is important that you understand the mechanics of this before we play?
0: Ooh, it's hard for me to imagine me saying that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, when I play, when I ran Star Trek for the first time a couple months ago, I sent out the like quick start rules and I said, if you if you don't have to, but take a gander at these quick start rules, if you want. And at least one player did that um, and -hmm. showed up at the table, had read through the quick start rules. I don't know. Maybe I need to get over myself, but that feels like just such a big ask. Um, Mm -hmm. Unless you were talking, I mean, I would do it if it was like a 12 page mini game rules, light pamphlet. Mm -hmm. Sure. But, you know, anything bigger than that, I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a tough sell. I think if it was, I it's hard because like I know you are also the rules explainer for board games when you're playing, playing with people because yes. like I, I am also that person um, and it is endlessly fascinating and frustrating to me the different approaches that people take to listening to rules as they're being like, yeah, as they're you're kind of explaining a board game, especially any board game of complexity where like the rules explanation is going to take 15 to 20 minutes, (laughs) minutes by itself. Right. Like that, that might be on the low end if you're quick and quick and good about it. And I mean, it's just like watching the range of human human comprehension is just like, yeah. Like, I mean, some people it's like, there's, there's no amount of talking to them about the rules that will ever work. Right. Like they, they need to either read it themselves or they need to play the game play the game in order to do it some people just like it's just not going to happen like it will never click with them like they will have a great time playing (laughs) playing the game but they're only ever going to sort of like repeat actions that they've seen someone else take or otherwise just ask someone else like what to do on every turn um right and i think if like if you are going to play tabletop games and i think if you're going to play tabletop games with a variety of people in your life like i think you're just gonna have to sort of come to peace with (laughs) come to peace with that that like someone's gonna read the rules A lot of people aren't, you can ask them as much as you want, but unless you're going to give them sort of a time to read at the table altogether, like they're just not going to be able to, to find the time, find the time to do it. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. I think like my, my take on this is like, I would never, I don't think I'd ever require players to read the rules. I think I'd always try to encourage them to do it. And like, I'd also bend over to, to kind of like represent them in ways that will help, help, help it make sense to them. Yeah as well um and vice versa like when i get rules like totally wrong i try to be open to like players correcting me like oh like actually (laughs) this is how it is um yeah because i mean that's like yeah because again like i mentioned i'm not going to go sit there and read all the books um just don't don't have that that sort of bandwidth in my life um yeah so like i think it kind of cuts both ways
0: it's not your fault right it's not it's not your fault if teaching people the rules is hard or Mm -hmm. trying to find out how much rules learning is appropriate in your case that's hard that's really hard Mm -hmm. and it you can tell it's hard because rpg rule books are are just here's my here's my hot take for the episode i mean your typical rule book is just is just Not very readable, right? (laughs) I mean, I've read a million of these things cover to cover. And the reason they're not good is not because game designers are terrible, but because it is really hard, really hard to teach someone, especially through text, how to do something complicated, like play Dungeons and Dragons. And then you have the added complication of that. This game involves so much non-rules like management of you have to you you have to uh, I'm searching for a verb here I can't quite find mm-hmm. you have to negotiate your relationship with the rules as you play in a yes. way that you don't with a board game and yes. so yeah so when you're writing your RPG rulebook, what do you do do you know do you just present the rules and board game board game style fashion some rules do that go read go read um uh prime directive the star <laughs> trek rpg published by the people that did starfleet battles and that's you know section 2.1473 yes. effects of <laughs> phaser fire on shields right so that's one thing do you lean into that negotiation and judgment call experience that is part of this hobby as well there are rules that do that i've read some Rule books that are breezier to read and chattier, and then mm-hmm. when I try to use them at the table to get rules information, it's a nightmare because mm-hmm. they're not organized for efficient delivery of information. Right? It's this is hard to do, and so, so I guess my only takeaway from my main takeaway from this topic might end up being, yeah, it's hard, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So thanks for listening to my rant there about uh, rules like this. I recently, I won't name and shame the game, but I recently was rereading the rules of a beloved game. I love it. The gaming community loves it, but man, man, man was it a hassle at the game table mm-hmm. to use um, yeah so. well i'm gonna get the name of that game when we're, we're you can we're get off the, the name of the game yeah. the yes. <laughs> okay. all right
1: well let's wrap it up there before we just like slowly devolve into like what are rules even
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> so, right what, yeah. what
1: are they yeah uh cool yeah well this has been roll for topic um we really appreciated you taking a listen to us um we're happy to sort of be back at um back at the helm um back with sort of our, our normal normal programming here. Um yeah, if you want to, you should go check out our sister show, The Splat Book. Um they're also part of Roll for It Media. Um the Splat Book uh stars John Corey and Kyle Latino, although last time they um they brought on Andy to come talk about Baldur's Gate three, um, as we alluded to. Um, I've listened to a little bit of that. Um, I think I might take a pause on it until I can actually get a chance to play Baldur's Gate three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. do that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but if you're playing Baldur's Gate three at all, like I think even just the first 15 minutes or so that I've listened to, it's definitely worth uh, worth taking. Uh, yeah, taking a listen to that. So I think both Andy and Kyle think about these things in a way that um, would appeal to game masters quite a bit.
0: Well, I'm glad I'm glad you're saying that, Chris, because. Uh, While I was having that conversation with Kyle, I was having a fantastic time talking to Kyle, but it did cross my mind like is this even remotely interesting <laughs> to listen to or not? I guess that's the question yeah. every podcaster must uh, ask themselves. on yeah. basis.
1: Yeah. Like you're, you're in a niche of like, uh you know, so the Splat book is a game design podcast and they brought you on who like, you like talking about game and stuff. And then you're talking about a video game and then you're relating <laughs> that back to to game design and running games and stuff. So like, if, if that sounds appealing to you, this is the podcast episode for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh cool all right well i think that that does it for us um yeah again thank you so much for listening to roll for topic um i've been chris allison
0: i've been andy Rowe.
1: And remember if your players are having fun you're a great gm